Hi, my name's Taylor Chapman, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Let's actually jump right on in there, and let's see what God has in store for you with today's message. In the interdimensional storehouse, it is taking something in the natural, allowing for something supernatural to happen with it, and then in the natural, something significant takes place. Go with me in your Bibles, in your phones, however, to the book of John, the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, chapter 2. The reference will be on the screen, so if you forget, and uh, we're going to read, Devin, 11 verses, but I'm going to cut you off every few verses. Um, If you wouldn't mind, every two verses, tell me what verse you're on so I know where to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. Is everybody there? John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. That right there gets you in trouble if you're your son, right? If I went to my mom and said, Woman! And she would slap me upside the back of my head, and I'd say, sorry, Mom, and whatever you, your wish is my command. Uh-huh. Sorry, that wasn't where I meant to cut you off. I just now thought about that. <laughs> my mom's never slapped me more than I could handle. <laughs> sorry, verse 4. Verse 4. Verse let's, four. let's keep going, okay. please. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you Stop to do. Right there. I want to challenge your thoughts on what we just read. We've, we've read this story in the totality, and we understand that Jesus turned the water into wine, but that is not what Mary asked Jesus to do. Mary said, do whatever he tells you. That means, you got to follow me on this, that Jesus was someone Mary trusted who could solve problems. When something wasn't working, she would just ask her son to fix it. Any moms out there, or dads for that matter, you call your children because there's something on your iPad you can't figure out. My mom will call me and say, why is this doing this? I look at it, we adjust a couple of things, and she's like, oh, I'm familiar with that, so I know what that means. She'll ask me because she trusts that I know how to fix the problem that she presented to me. Mary was telling Jesus, her son, I need you to take care of this because I trust that you are able to take care of the problem. She was not asking him to do something supernatural. Oh. Huh, okay. She was asking her, or asking him, to fix something in the natural. We are out of wine. Go get more. My mom knows that if she needs something, she can call me at any time, and whatever she needs... We'll take care of. You got a broken iPhone, can't figure out something with whatever her computer, can't figure out this, working on something over here. She knows she can call me, and whatever it is, we will figure it out and get it fixed. Mary says, Jesus, 
Take care of the problem. Do you see the relationship with the problem versus the relationship Mary and Jesus had as mother and son? Mary was not asking him to turn water into into wine. Mary was simply asking, hey, we're out of wine. Go buy more. Go get more. And I trust that you will take care of it. That becomes significant in in a moment. Have you ever hosted an event and you ran out of something? What did you do? You found someone who you knew that could go and figure out what needed to get taken care of and ask them, hey, go get more of this. Go to the store, go get this. Go here and go get that. That is simply what Mary thought was going to happen. We're out of wine. Jesus, I trust you. You go take care of it. All right. Are we all on the same playing field with our thought process here? Because it's going to matter here in a moment. We're we're, we're good? All right. Keep reading. Read verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Right there. We see this as being, you turn the faucets on and fill up the jug, right? Uh, That is not how they got water. They would have had to carry these six stone jars to the well. Each jar contained either 20 to 30 gallons of water. How much do those little packs of water we get at Walmart, how much do those weigh? Those things are heavy. They had to carry 30 gallons in a jar that was built out of clay that was very heavy in itself. So they would have to take these jars over to the well and they would go to the well and they would crank the bucket down in the well and it would get two to three to four gallons out of the, out of the well, crank it back up and they would put that water into the jar. How many times would they have to do that? four or five times to fill up one jar. Do you think that took 30 seconds? No, they were probably there over an hour filling up jar after jar after jar. So probably, more than likely, this miracle didn't happen in 15 seconds. And I'm about to start preaching. I wasn't going to, but there's something in here that you've got to understand. When my healing doesn't come immediately, maybe it's because your jars are empty and God is asking you to fill up your cup so that that takes time. Oh, you didn't get that one. Whenever you need a financial breakthrough, you're like, I need it immediately. Maybe God God's saying there's a process to what it takes for your miracle to come. We look at the jars and say, man, Jesus turned that water into wine instantaneously. But there was a process that they had to go through for the miracle to come out on the other side. There is a process that we have to go through for the miracle of the breakthrough to happen. Whenever we say, God, we want it right now. God, we need this right now. He said, you haven't gone through the process of filling up your jars. Your jars are still empty. I'm going to throw this microphone all the way around over there. Why didn't it work out the way it was supposed to? Maybe God is saying, I've got to do some work in you, and you haven't allowed me to do the work in your life that I need to do, so I'm going to keep you in the same pattern until you figure out what the heck's wrong with you. We are a people of here and now. I want it now. I want it my way. God is not interested in your way. He's interested in making you what he wants you to be. He's interested in you becoming all that he has created you to be. Some people just need more work than others. So don't get lost in what hasn't happened now, but rather, what am I learning in the process of my jars being filled to the brim? Thank you, Richard. He gets it. All right. Keep reading verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. 
And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, verse 10, and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. We read this and know Jesus did it. Jesus is the one who turned the water into wine. But when you put yourself back into the actual story, nobody knew that Jesus was the one who did it except for the servants who filled it up and then it says the disciples saw it. Okay, we're gonna go somewhere. Jesus never got credit for the miracle that we look at and say it was his first miracle, but Jesus never got credit for it. It was not a public, a public spectacle of a miracle, but I love how in verse 11 it says, the disciples believed in him. There are times that God does things in your, in your life that's not for a public show, but done privately so you can believe Jesus at a different level. You know, there are many times when Jesus healed somebody and he said, don't go tell anyone, this is between me, you, and God. What Jesus was doing was letting people know when God meets your need, he does it so because he loves you, not because he's trying to advertise something in you. He's not doing this because, oh, I'm just, I just kind of, I just kind of want to. He's doing it because he's got to do something on the inside of you. He does so because he's trying to teach you something about the person and the character and the nature of who he is. He has a deposit that's been made inside of you. On Wednesday, Matthew, my, uh, I don't know how old he is, six. He smashed his toe um, pretty good, and they were figuring out what to do, and Adrienne calls my mom to um, get Matthew's attention off the toe that smashed. They're trying to figure out what to do. So, you know, you got to have a good attention distractor. And Matthew's crying. Matthew's in pain. The toe doesn't look good. Apparently, I wasn't home. And she decides to take Matthew to urgent care because it's, it's smashed, it's gross. And so um, she takes her to urgent care. They drive over there. Um, my mom, I don't know where she was at, at home or whatever, and she has this unction that she's supposed to go to urgent care as well. Well, she didn't tell Adrienne that she was going to go to urgent care. Um, but they show up to urgent care. Matthew goes in, Abigail goes in, uh, Adrienne goes in. And while Matthew is in there, he's saying, uh, I, 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 wanna, I want Lenny here. That's, that's my mom. I, I want Lenny here. And Adrienne's like, well, she would love to be here, but it's going to take her so long to get over here. She'll never make it in time. By the time we get back to the doctor, it just, it just won't work out. And, and Matthew has enough Chapman blood in him that whatever we want, we get. And if someone tells us no, that's just an opportunity for you to be wrong and me to figure out how to make it a yes. That's just how we're wired. Don't get mad at me. Don't hate the game. Don't hate the player. It's just how we're wired. We make things happen. That's just what we do. And uh, Matthew looked at his mom and said, I want Lenny here. And so she was like, well, we'll call Lenny and and she'll have to tell you that she can't come because I'm not going to be the one to tell you anymore because you're irate child who's screaming and crying and we can't console you. And so Adrienne calls mom on the phone and mom says, uh, it says, uh, um, 
I don't remember the whole conversation. I'm going to paraphrase it uh, from what I remember Adrian telling me. Um, Matthew's here at, the, at urgent care. He wants you to be here. Is there any way you can come? And mom is like, yeah, I'm in the parking lot. Have you seen the movie Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> Help is on the way. Like that was my mom like coming inside. And she was flying high because Matthew needed her Lenny. And God responded to Matthew's request by Lenny being where she needed to be because Matthew, Adrienne couldn't console her. I couldn't console her. Abigail couldn't console her. The one she wanted was Lenny. So what happens is whenever you, I'm going somewhere with this, whenever you learn how to operate inside of the interdimensional storehouse, there is a blessing that will come that will meet the desires of your heart. If you need it or not, to Matthew, the miracle was not that his toe was falling off, his toenail was falling off. It was that his Lenny was in the parking lot whenever she needed, whenever he needed her. Whenever you are sowing seed into the interdimensional storehouse, God begins to allow a blessing to flow out, not in what you think you need, but in what God knows you're going to need. Matthew didn't need any money. Matthew didn't need, Matthew needed her Lenny. And God said, I will respond to your request because what I didn't tell you was last week, he said, I got, uh, I got, uh, I'll, I'll just say, we were at the grocery store and he saw some chocolate on the wall and he said, can I buy that for Papa? And I said, of course, we'll get it for Papa. So we bought it. We go to the, we go to the house and, and he said, how much was that chocolate? I said, it's $9. He was like, $9? I thought it said $4. I said, no, you got the good stuff. That was the little bag. You got the bigger bag. And he was like, okay, he's worth it. And then he leaves. I didn't know what that meant. He leaves and he comes back and he hands me two $5 bills. I said, what's this? And he's like, Papa's worth it. I want to buy this for him. I said, dude, I don't want your money. But yeah, give me your money. Because I'm teaching him. Whenever you give, you're storing up treasure in the storehouse. He sewed up that treasure in the storehouse that week and the blessing immediately came within three days later when Lenny was meeting him at urgent care saying, the desire of my heart is now met. There are things that happen in your life that God allows because it is beneficial for us to believe in him at different capacities. It didn't matter to me that Lenny was there, but to Matthew, it meant the world. He now has a new level of trust in God because he said, because I use this as an example, look, Matthew, you gave to your papa and look what Lenny did. Look what God did. He showed, and she was, and he said, Lenny showed up for me. That was a miracle from God. Exactly. He operated out of the interdimensional storehouse at six years old. The, the disciples saw the miracle of turning the water into wine and it helped cement their belief in who Jesus was before his public ministry even began. The very first miracle of Jesus was in accordance to the interdimensional storehouse. In this story of, about the wedding, Jesus is showing us from the very beginning, you take something in the natural, the Lord touches it, he provides greater provision than what was presented to him. I don't think you understood it, so I'm going to say it again for the guy in the back who's not paying attention. I'm not using you. I'm not saying that. I'm just using that. Okay. <laughs> Jesus is showing us that whenever you give something in the natural, he takes whatever you give him in the natural, he puts his hand upon it, and he returns it with his provision, not what you gave in the natural. Therefore, the interdimensional storehouse has to be how we function on this earth because we need more of God than anything else. And if we don't continue to sow seed into the interdimensional storehouse, we will not reap the harvest that we need to receive. Let me give you a side note bonus for all you people that just love me and want to... Um, well, I'm just going to say it this way. 
we turn to Romans 14, 13 real quick, and then to Ephesians 5, 18. Romans 14, 13. Terrence, you know where that's at? It's in the New Testament, brother. Romans 14, 13. I, 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 this is a side note bonus. I do have it in my notes, but we're family, right? My job is to pastor you, not to tell you what you want to hear. Okay? All right, let's read this real quick. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or okay. sister. Now go to Ephesians 5.18. Do you think Jesus can cause someone to stumble? Yes or no? I need you to answer that question, please. Do you think Jesus can cause someone to stumble? No. Good. You guys are smart people. Ephesians 5.18. Go ahead. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right. It says that we are not to get junk, drunk with wine. If Jesus would have turned water into wine at the feast that was drawing near to the end, this would have caused every person in there to get drunk. You just now... Or, or Jesus just now sinned against what his word establishes. I'm here to tell you this morning, alcohol is not permissible in the kingdom of God. Oh, I knew that was going to get some people looking at me funny. You, not, I'm going to say you, but I don't mean you. I'll say it this way. There are people who use this context of verse to say, even Jesus turned water into wine. It's okay for me to drink. If Jesus would have turned this water into wine, he would have caused every single person at the wedding to get drunk. Therefore, his word now means nothing because his word was you cannot get drunk and now he's getting people drunk. That goes against the character and the nature of who he is, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take you somewhere on this. There is a, a guy by the name of Perry Stone, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's like a Bible scholar genius. Like he just, he operates differently than anybody else. Like he reads something and you're like, how did you get that out of that? Well, he did an hour long program. I saw this a couple years ago on alcohol in the Bible. And he came to a conclusion. He said, every word of alcohol, wine, or another phrase is strong drink. Any of those words, I can 100% categorically deny that it is talking about the alcohol that we have today. He said, in most occasions, the wine is the fruit of the vine, which would be grape juice or something similar. What he comes to the conclusion that says that the alcohol level content, that you would have to drink gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons to get to the point where alcohol content is today. So if you think you can use the Bible to say, Jesus turned water into wine as acceptable for me to drink, I just debunked your myth and it has been busted and now I'm not your Holy Spirit. But I am here to present the truth. So it doesn't really matter if you have your emotions aside, say, well, it's fun, it's something I like. I'm here for the kingdom of God. Nothing else matters to me. So that's a side note bonus for just coming to church today. Um, that 
Jesus didn't turn water into the wine that we know. He turned it into grape juice that was very pure, that was very fine, that was very good tasting. Um, And the miracle happened because of the interdimensional storehouse. I'm going to skip over something here. I've got Luke 9. We won't turn there. Um, let me, it's the feeding of the 5,000. I don't want to go back. I'm going to skip that. I don't have time. Um, Acts 20, verse 35. We're getting back to our subject now. I'll read this one. You don't have to. Uh, go to John 7, 37. Uh, Acts 20, 35. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, The people who have something and can give it to meet needs are more blessed than those who need to receive and don't know where things are coming from. Does that make sense? When you are a giver, you enable the interdimensional storehouse to function where you live out of a place of assurance because you know what God has done for you and there's no one who can take that away from you. When the disciples saw Jesus turned the water into wine. It cemented what they knew about what was to come about Jesus. Whenever you see God's hand upon your life, you've got to remember those times because it cements how you think, what you say, how you operate. It cements your belief in who Jesus is. There is not a single person in this room that can tell me that tithing does not work. I don't care about your experience. I don't care about your past of what you have with it. I can tell you from the side of of being a tither in and in and in, not because I gave it one month and did it one. No, I stayed fluid, consistently gave. I can tell you from this side of it, you cannot tell me anything different that God's blessing will be upon your life, okay? You just can't. No one can tell me that I'm not married to Adrienne. Why? 15 years of revelation, 15 years of being with her, 15 years of standing up in front of my dad getting married. I know that I'm married to Adrienne. You can't tell me different. I know tithing works not because of your experience. I'm not married to Adrienne because of your experience. I am married because of my experience. My experience with tithing is it works. I have been here two years and we have never talked about money. In this series, we really didn't even talk about tithing to the church. We are today for the first time. And if you're here for the first time, thank you so much for being here. This is the last time you're gonna hear this from me for a while. But the other side of it is, I want you to walk in the same level of blessing that I walk in so I don't apologize for allowing you to be put yourself in a position to have the greater goodness of of financial provision on your life. If I showed you our bank books, you would say God's been good to you. And it's because I'm a tither. It's because whenever I didn't feel like it, you know what I did? I tithed anyway. It, it, whenever I felt like I was supposed to give something, even when I didn't feel like I was supposed to, I gave it anyway. And I keep opening up windows of heaven, a blessing over our life, and it seems to keep working out. But the moment you quit tithing, it, it almost seems like things begin to go wrong that wouldn't have gone wrong before. My car got a flat tire. My, my wife did, a, did, did something, and something, I don't want to blame her for something she didn't do, but something happens, and oh my goodness, I have noticed that whenever you're tithing, Whenever you're giving, 
it, it allows you to operate at a level that things that used to take you down can no longer take you down. That things that may have happened before, this would have happened or that would have happened, does not happen anymore. Why? Because you're now functioning in the interdimensional storehouse and God's return of blessing is different than our return of blessing. Things just work out. Call it favor, call it whatever you want. I call it obedience. Um, I have learned over the times that whenever I have acted even more out of obedience, there came about supernatural provision. Let me give you another example of the interdimensional storehouse. John seven thirty seven and 38. Um, John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Read the last part, rivers. The rivers of living water will flow from within them. Here is a great example of what happens in the interdimensional storehouse. You drink a little, and a river flows out. You drink, and I'm not talking alcohol. All right, we're past that, all right? You, you drink a little. You, you drink the goodness of God a little, and a river flows out. What happens? You drink something in the natural, God takes it in the supernatural and blesses it, and out comes rivers. You don't drink rivers. You drink sips. You drink little bits. And as long as you keep drinking, rivers will keep flowing. But the moment you stop drinking, the river's going to stop flowing. So it begins to work in your marriage, in your home, in your business, in your tithing, in your office, in your everything that you do. The moment you stop doing it, the rivers quit flowing over here. If you stop, if say you own a business, the moment you quit doing the daily grind, the river of jobs coming in stops. You drink a little, God pours out a lot. The interdimensional storehouse you do a little, God does a lot. If you can understand what that principle does, you will no longer look at your money, you will no longer look at your time, you'll no longer look at anything the same way because you do a little and God does a lot. If you don't do a little, God can't do anything. Okay, all right. We want the interdimensional storehouse to be in full operation, but we're not willing to make the deposits to receive the river of blessing that flows from it. You have to choose to make the deposits in order to receive your provision. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, I'm going to change directions a little bit. We, this is... Week five of this series. This is a long series, huh? My goodness. It's been good, though, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, man, last week, six people. And mom told me a while ago that she heard a couple more that I didn't hear. Six people last week who were here. This week, financial things happened. Job promotions, um, title changes, hour changes and work schedules, uh, title, whatever they were. Uh, deals that, that weren't supposed to come through came through. Just this week, God is good. Just this week. So whenever, I'm not talking on you all to like, 
Oh, you guys need to do it. No, I'm telling you something that returns blessing, that you give a little, God gives a lot. And so you have to live this day. But over the last four weeks, I've had several people ask me questions, and this series could easily go another, I don't know, six and a half years. I mean, there's so much here that we could go on. But my ADD kicked in. I just, I'm done. I'm tired. Uh, I got to change my, my mind going a little bit. So some questions that were asked to me, and I want to answer some questions. This is kind of like a Q&A without the Q, okay? So... I got that. That was funny. All right. Um, I'm going to ask some questions, but then I'm going to answer them real quick, and then we're going to get out almost on time. Uh, What's the difference between tithes and offerings? Uh, Tithe means a tenth. The Bible says that you are to give a tenth to your local storehouse. Let's say, easy math, you make $10,000 a month. What's a tenth? $1,000. What happens whenever you say, well, I didn't give a a tithe to the church. I gave 500 to this organization who feeds hungry children. I gave 500 to this organization. Did you tithe? What did you do? There you go. You gave an offering. A tithe is 10% of your income to the local church, not somewhere else, online, somewhere things are what, whatever. Um, I've heard people say, well, I tithe to this ministry. No, you didn't. You gave an offering. You didn't tithe to a ministry. You tithe to the local church. That's how Jesus established a church, and that's the church he's looking forward to coming back to. Uh, our tithe is a tenth off the top. The next question was, well, is it gross or net? If you don't know the difference, gross is the full amount that comes in. Net is what comes in after taxes and fees and retirement, all that stuff comes out. Categorically, I can prove, we don't have the time, it comes off the gross. It comes off the top. Why? There is a law that God has put into place called first fruits. If you want to, see, this is part of that series. We could just keep on going. The, the first fruit is what gets blessed. There is, there, and, and, see, there, there's a goat and there's a lamb. I don't want to get into the whole thing. But a lamb is clean, a goat is unclean. Whenever you had animals, you would give a tenth, a tithe, a tenth. And if you had a goat, that means you had to sacrifice a lamb that was clean to wipe away the, the, the redemption of the goat that was bad. So in order for the first First to be blessed, I, I said that a little bit differently. I should have said that part first. If you had a goat born, and it's the first goat that's born of the mother, a goat was unclean. So in order to have a sacrifice of that goat, you can't sacrifice something that's unclean. So you'd have to take a lamb that was clean, sacrifice that, and then it was then that would redeem the goat, and the the goat now becomes clean, and you could sacrifice the goat. Old Testament weird stuff, but that's that's how they would do all that stuff, and it's an amazing picture of our salvation. Just now thought of that. You were born unclean as a goat. Someone had to pay the price to redeem you to cleanse you through Jesus. God, man, wow, the, re- the that's really. I got to write that one down. I'm going to come back to that. There's something on that one. Um, the, another question. Uh, I heard that Old Testament, or the tithing was Old Testament law and not New Testament grace. And so I don't have to tithe because the New Testament. Well, partially right. Uh, you were right in the fact that tithing started in the Old Testament, but everything after that's wrong. Uh, tithing actually predates the Mosaic law. Um, so people say, well, tithing is the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law, so we no longer abide by what those Old Testament principles were. No, tithing predates 
Moses and that law, and it was actually from Abraham, and we are the seeds of who? So we do what Abraham did to have what Abraham had, and he said give a tenth of all your increase to your local storehouse. So debunks that just a little bit. And if you want to say, well, where does it say in the New Testament? Look at Hebrews 7, where um, we're not going to go there. It actually comes back, and in, in Paul actually says give everything. If you, want to, if you guys want to use that as the, as the law, what's the New Testament say about giving? Then you give everything. Whatever the need of the local church has. Let's say we need a new building. It's a million dollars. We can't leave here until next week. We need a million dollars. You all go sell your houses. You all go sell whatever. And then you come back and give the church a million dollars. Because the gospel being spread is more important than you having a house. That's the philosophy of the New Testament. I'm not asking you to do that. I am asking you to in the totality of this series, look at your income and see how you can honor God with what God has given to you. Um, my family, I said it a while ago, is a walking testimony of becoming or, or being a family who ties. Uh, my wife and I are very blessed. We're very thankful for it. My parents are very blessed. My brother and his wife, tithers, very blessed. It works. It works. I'm not trying to talk you into tithing. I'm not try- I don't need your money. God does, though. Not because he needs your money. It's because he needs your heart, where your treasure is, where your heart is. He doesn't care about your money. He's got streets of gold. My mom called me the other day, and she was saying something that she really liked, and I was like, that's great. That's, that, that's awesome, but God's streets are gold. I don't think he cares how nice this is. He needs your heart. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. So, all right. Fourth question. Um, Richard, um, if I have debt am I to tithe? Uh, I am a Dave Ramsey. Anybody know Dave Ramsey? Yeah, I'm a Dave Ramsey certified coach. Went through the whole training, did all that stuff, and I thought it would be so much fun. I realized I hate doing all that stuff, so I never did it again. But he's got some really great things that he teaches, and he answers this question better than I can. So this is a a, a four-minute clip answering the question, uh, if I have debt, do I tithe? And you hear that sound? Someone busted our computer this week while we were not here and we didn't find out about it till too late. So we'll get that fixed next week. I apologize. Nicole is in California. Currently, we're putting about $2,000 a month towards debt. If we start tithing, that cuts down what we could put towards debt to about half. What do you suggest we do? Well, the people that ask about tithing, tithing is a tenth of your income. The word tithe in the Hebrew literally means tenth. Um, are typically evangelical Christians or Orthodox Jewish. And those are the two groups that tithe uh, according to the teachings of their book, our book, the Bible. And so um, I'm an evangelical Christian, so I tithe. I give a tenth of my income to my local church. And um, wish she was that's at our what church. she's asking about. <laughs> so. Where would you put that in order of priority? Well, number one, we start with the idea that God doesn't need your money. For that matter, the church doesn't need your money. So why does God teach us to give a tenth of our income? Because it's good for us to learn how to be givers. And generous people are just much more attractive than selfish people. And so your baseline starting point for your generosity for those of us that have a faith walk like that, is a tithe, a tenth of our income. 
And so that would lead us to believe not to make God love us more because he loves us anyway. It's not performance-based Christianity. And it's not a thing, some kind of toxic thing or something like that where you think God's going to give you money because you gave him money or some kind of that, that, not that garbage. But it is simply, I am learning to be generous because generous people have a better life. That's really what God's telling you to do. And so he's not going to be mad at you whichever way you do this, Nicole. Um, I'm, I, I feel confident that Scripture teaches us to give our tithe off the top before we do anything else. And then we just work out our, our plan after that, which would lead me, in your case, to you know lower the amount that's going towards the debt and increase your income to a full tithe. But we're not doing that out of performance-based. We're not doing it out of a guilt trip. We're certainly not doing it because Dave Ramsey said to do it. That doesn't make any sense at all. But you're doing it out of the understanding that your heavenly father is crazy about you. And he says, hey, kid, when he's looking at me, hey, kid, when he's looking at you, you're my son, you're my daughter. Here's the best way to live. And if you believe all those things about him, then you would do what he says to do because he's a great father. And so, based on all of that, I tithe before I do anything else. And that would be my suggestion and the reasoning behind my suggestion, which is actually way more important than the actual suggestion. Now, here's the other thing I've discovered in 30 years of working on these budgets with people, including my own, is that there's never a zero-sum game. Meaning it's never as simple as, I can put $2,000 a month towards debt. If I tithe, I can put $1,000 a month towards debt. That's acting like there's only one variable in this budget. Oh. So you could have a $600 car payment that you need to sell. You could be not working much and you've got some overtime available to you that you need to pick up. You could still have eating out in your budget to the tune of five or six hundred bucks a month. I don't know what all's in your budget, but I do know that these aren't the two only two variables in your budget that you can adjust. And so I'm going to start with the premise that my heavenly father loves me. He says for me to give because it's the best way for me to live. And as an evangelical Christian, I'm going to follow that teaching for those reasons. Because it's going to turn out best for me because of the instruction and the source of the instruction. Um, and then I'm going to work on all the other variables. And I really want you to get intense about getting out of debt. So it's not a zero-sum game. There's other stuff in your budget you can mess with here. The income side of the equation, the outgo side of the equation. And for those of us that call ourselves Christian, especially evangelicals, um, the teaching is very clear. It's clear. <laughs> um, this entire series has been about stewardship. Uh, we're about to complete this series, and let me do a little bit of a wrap-up, and then I want to teach you one more thing before we get out of here. We have the immediate use storehouse. That is two to three weeks funds accessible in your wallet, in your purse, to cover bills. You have what we talked about in week two, the intermediate use storehouse. Joseph had seven years of food put back as, as uh, Egypt was going to go into famine. So what have you put back? It, you determine how long it is. What's your, online, what's your, on, your, your savings account look like? 
three years, five years, seven years, maybe you need more than that to, to do whatever you do. That is your number to choose, but Joseph used seven. My family, I told you why, we use three. Um, number three, we have the interdimensional storehouse. We store up treasure in heaven, and God provides the provision of interest. Uh, as we close out this series, let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 24. I want to ask everyone to go there real quick. Matthew 19, 24. Matthew nineteen twenty four. Go for it. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. All right. Let me clarify this verse. This is not talking about an actual needle, a sewing needle. Um, back in the Bible days, uh, the city of Jerusalem had a gate. And that gate would be much like these barn doors that are here, but bigger, uh, maybe 14 feet tall or so. And that would be a point of entry into the city of Jerusalem. Inside this 14-foot door would be another door that was between 6 and 7 feet tall. This door would be for you to walk in and out. If people were coming to your city, do you want to open a small gate or do you want to open a big gate? A small gate. It's a safety factor. The, the, the interesting thing about this verse, it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person enter the kingdom of God. Do you know what that small door was called? The eye of the needle. So the, the neat thing about what this looks like as our worship team comes back up to the stage, a camel would carry goods on its back. The car the, a camel would carry tents and food and uh, all different things, shelter, what, whatever else. And what this verse is saying is, if you strip off all the stuff that a camel carries and the camel is willing to change its posture, the camel can get through the small door. A camel was between seven to eight feet tall. So if the camel could be emptied of everything and you get the camel to kneel, the camel could go through a seven-foot-tall door. If the rich man will strip himself of his goods and change his posture, he too can enter the kingdom of God. It will just require a little bit more effort on their part. Jesus did not say a rich man cannot enter the kingdom. He said someone who loves their money is going to have a harder time getting in than someone who doesn't. What this is saying is it is leading into Jerusalem as heaven. And it's, it's what's that word, analogy, whatever that, uh, whatever that word is. You're on this side and you want to get over there. The only way that you can get over there is you have to take some things off of you and change your posture, and now you have access to what's on the other side. There are things that happen in our life that causes us to put up blockages, blocks, blockages, block, whatever, that 
change our perspective and how we think. We go through an experience and say, it didn't work for me, so I don't know how that worked. What is, what is that doing when we look at the totality of this verse? You're putting on baggage that stops you from getting to the blessing that's on the other side. So what happens is we've got to come to a place where we strip off all the baggage, the way we thought about money, the way we thought about people, the way we thought about, we've got to strip all that off so we can get to the blessing that's on the other side. Thank you for tuning in today. The most important decision you can make is making Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says that because we are born into sin, there needs to be a blood sacrifice to redeem us from the curse that that sin brought us into when we were all born. God wanted to give you the opportunity to live in eternity with him. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to be that blood sacrifice for you and I. You can choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life and choose heaven, or you can choose to make this sinful world we live in your standard of living and make hell the only option. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, we want to give you that opportunity right now. All you have to do is repeat these words after me. Say this, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I confess my sins and I repent of those sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a fully devoted disciple. If you just prayed that prayer, then you are saved. Congratulations on making that life-changing decision. Now is the next step. You need to start reading your Bible and get into a good Bible-believing church. You will find other people who've made the same decision that you just did, and you will help each other grow to become all that God has called you to be. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that I am for you, but I need to know about it. If you would go to pathwaychurchok.com, that is pathwaychurchok, just the letters O and K, dot com, send us a message and let us know you prayed that prayer, and we'll send you some free resources to help you start your journey with Christ that you just started today. Thank you again for tuning in. Congratulations once again. We'll see you next time right here.